I want to take as my text this morning that reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that, find that uh, text on page 1166. Philippians chapter 3, and beginning at verse 4, or halfway through verse 4, the second part of verse 4, which I'd like us to look at again. Philippians chapter 3, and beginning at verse 4. As we mentioned last time, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. He talks about uh, being chained. Uh, in this very letter, he mentions it. He's under house arrest and chained to a Roman soldier. They didn't have ankle bracelets in that day, so this is the way they did it. But he's writing to these believers in Philippi in northern Greece, where he had planted a church. There's quite a bit of material about that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 in particular. But in verse 4, halfway through, he says, If anyone else has a reason for confidence in himself or confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had counted, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it mine own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This morning I want to talk about a life centered in self versus a life centered in Christ. A life centered in self versus a life centered in Christ. Which may perhaps sound a little simplistic, but I'm not sure that it is. Indeed, uh, Paul David Tripp in his book titled Dangerous Calling wrote this, If you're not living for God, the only alternative is <laughs> that you're living for yourself. If you're not living for God, the only alternative is that you're living for yourself. And so while our subject may be simple, I think its assumptions are correct. And while we may wish to live, or some maybe, for both self and God at the same time, I'm not sure that I would know how to make an argument that would show that doing both simultaneously is in fact possible. 
But be that as it may, in order to really get a, a grasp of what Paul is talking about in our text, we need to know a little something about the context for saying the things that he says, which might seem just a little bit obscure. But in terms of its context, the Apostle Paul would go from place to place, as you know, if you've ever read the book of Acts, proclaiming the gospel of grace and, and um, going from town to town and planting churches based upon that gospel truth. And then oftentimes, and this is referred to in his, his letters, others, sometimes referred to as Judaizers, would come in behind Paul after he left to go to another place to plant another church and they would go into where Paul had planted a church and he, they would tell the people, and oftentimes they were Gentiles, they themselves being Jews and claiming to be Christian, they would go in and tell these people that they needed to, uh, in, in essence, become Jews uh, before they could be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that they would need to be circumcised if they hadn't been, and most of them hadn't, and that they needed to keep all other ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic Law, and then to add force to their argument, they would often present to their hearers their credentials and their pedigrees, information about themselves in order to show why their hearers should follow what they say. Which brings us then to a life centered in self. Notice again, chapter 3 and halfway through verse 4, where the new sentence begins. So these Judaizers are saying all these things. These are, this is who I, these, this is who we are, and you must listen. Notice what Paul says. If anyone thinks, anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I'm more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks they have a great pedigree or credentials that should make it such that people should pay attention to what they say, I have more reason. And then he lists the articles of his own pedigree and credentials, if you will, for instance, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. The point of that being, Paul is saying, listen, I, I have always been a Jew. I was born a Jew. I'm an Israelite from birth. I'm not a proselyte or a convert. I've always been a Jew. You needn't tell me about Judaism. I've known hardly anything else. And then he says, and I uh, am of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was the youngest of Jacob's sons. Of course, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel as a nation was comprised of 12 tribes. And Benjamin was the last son. And so one of the tribes is called Benjamin. And Paul says, and that's the tribe of which I come, from which I come. Uh, it's interesting that Benjamin was the tribe that gave Israel its first king. And that first king's name was what? Saul. See, we know him as Paul. 
the Apostle Paul. But that's what the Romans called him. The word Paul in Latin or the derivative of it means small. He was a little guy. Um, and um, his name was Saul, and they got a little mixed up. It said Saul, whatever. We don't know anybody called Saul, but he looks small to me. We'll just call him Paul. And that stuck. But his family name, his real name, the name that was given to him on the day of his circumcision was Saul. No doubt after the king. Interestingly enough, Jerusalem, where the temple is, is located within the territorial boundaries of the tribe of Benjamin. That's who Paul is. And then he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, we would say, if, if we were say, saying it, we would, we would say, um, I'm Jewish on both sides. <laughs> there was no mixed blood. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both of his parents were. And as a boy, they raised him in a Jewish home. And then Paul says, um, and as to the law, I, I was a Pharisee. Now, in Paul's day, the Pharisees and Jesus' day, in fact, there's lots of talk about the Pharisees in the Gospels. In fact, there was a reference to the Pharisees even in the Gospel reading that we had this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. But the Pharisees was a, the, uh, a sect of uh, Judaism that lived in strictest adherence to the Mosaic Law and, to, and the traditions of the rabbis. They were the strictest of the strict if we're talking about credentials. In fact, even though Paul doesn't mention it here, uh, it is mentioned in other places in the New Testament, in particular in the Acts of the Apostles, that Paul was a student of the most famous Pharisee and rabbi of the first century, a man named Gamaliel. We still have his writings and his views on things. You could read them if you wanted. But Paul mentions this in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. He's making a defense for himself in Jerusalem. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia. So he was part of the diaspora, but he lived outside of Palestine as a Jew, in a Jewish community, in a Jewish family. In fact, he must have shown a lot of promise because he ends up being a student of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. So he probably had money and was extremely talented. Acts 22 and verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers. Chapters 26, Acts. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my nation, and then in Jerusalem, is known to all the Jews, they have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And then Paul continues, he says in verse 6, and as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Now that's what we usually think of when we think of Paul or think of his past, that he was a persecutor of the church. And how, did he, how was he able to pull it off? Well, he had friends in high places. Well, Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin. So he knew Gamaliel. He knew Gamaliel's friends. He knew members of the Sanhedrin. Uh, his family apparently had connections there. There's a reference to his nephew in Jerusalem in the book of Acts who tips off the Romans saying, hey, they're trying to kill my uncle. <laughs> 
And when he was on his way to Damascus, he had papers from the high priest, the president of the Sanhedrin, saying, this is our man, Saul, from Tarsus, and do whatever he needs for you to do. And so he persecuted the church. And then he concludes in verse 6 by saying, and as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless which is a way of saying that Paul kept the rules flawlessly. And that's so much so that it would have been impossible for anyone to come up with a leg legitimate charge that he had broken the Mosaic law or the traditions of the rabbis. And the point of all of this, perhaps, is that if Paul wanted to center his life on himself, I mean, imagine if you had credentials like this. You ever meet people and they're always reading you your, their resume? <laughs> Paul seems only to bring it up when he's trying to help the church out of trouble and delivering them from false teachers. It's like, oh God, you know, do, you, do I have to go through this again? But if he wanted to center his life on himself, as many people do, even many religious people, perhaps oftentimes religious people, Paul could have done it as much and had as much cause as any, and that's his point. But he chose not to, which brings us to a life centered in Christ. Notice verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> That's what I think about policy. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own that comes through the law, but that righteousness that comes through faith in him the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection alive in me and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfected, as some might claim, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. How many things? <laughs> one. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul uh, says, but whatever gain I had, that is, whatever profit I had in all the accomplishments that we just rehearsed, and the people he knew and the power that he had, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss, as nothing. 
that I might gain Christ. He continues in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything. He goes from whatever to everything. Everything. You know what that means in Greek? Yeah, it means everything. <laughs> no exception. <laughs> Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth. He's making a value statement and giving his testimony. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so, in a life centered in Christ, Christ stands alone. We sang that, didn't we? <laughs> Christ stands alone. And nothing else even comes close. Listen again, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. And when Paul is talking about knowing Christ, he's not talking about knowing about him as he was some sort of a historical figure. Like you might know George Washington or, or, or Charlemagne or William the Conqueror or some other. In fact, I was thinking about William the Conqueror because the page number for this is 1166 and that's 100 years after William conquered England in 1066 at Hastings. But he's not talking about that I might know Christ in some sort of historical sense or about what people only just told me about. When Paul talks about knowing Christ, he's talking about, about knowing Christ and knowing him personally. And if you know him, you know what he's talking about. In fact, N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Christian, wrote this. He said, Christians have always claimed from the beginning that though Jesus is no longer walking around Palestine and available for us to meet and get to know him in that sense, he is indeed with us in a different sense and that we can indeed get to know him in a manner not wholly unlike the way we get to know anyone else. And Paul continues, Verse 8, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. It's quite a comparison, by the way. The original language is instructive in this regard. We have it here in the ESV, the English Standard Version, as rubbish. I count it all as rubbish. The Greek is skubala. Uh, in the AV, the King James, and even the modern translation, the New English translation, the word is translated dung. We have a word for that. I won't mention it because we're in such polite company. But you know, and that's exactly what the word means, and it's often used in the extra-biblical Greek literature. In fact, Paul putting this here probably kind of caught their attention because he used a word that generally was used and was considered to be vulgar. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Peterson in the message, trying to approximate vulgarity, called it dog dung. 
That's what he says about his circumcision and his education and all those things. What? They're not necessarily bad in themselves, but he's making a comparison. What are they worth compared to knowing Christ? Verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, found in Christ, meaning being found in him, spiritually united with him so that when God the Father sees me, he sees me in the Son about whom he said, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. I don't want other people, what Paul is saying, other people could look at me and see in the past how I, I did the law and I did the tradition of the fathers and did it so well that nobody with a naked human eye could have come up with any evidence to accuse me of having broken those rules and that tradition. But God knows And so that's not enough. <laughs> Notice verse 9, that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of mine own that comes from the law. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse six, 16, as we have it, he wrote to the churches in Galatia and he wrote this famously, for we know that a person is not justified or given a right standing before God by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why this is so important. Because just working it out and being good. You know, sometimes sins are referred to as debts. Well, imagine, imagine which, which is true, that there's something owed because we have disobeyed the law, if ever there was a law, a law that comes from God. And so imagine, you know, you've spent most of your life breaking these laws, and then all of a sudden you think, hey, you know what, that's not the right thing to do. I think I'm going to start obeying God's laws. Well, that's good. It's kind of like um, if, you, if you had a, a debt, a real financial debt, and you, you, you weren't making payments. And then you thought to yourself, well, that's not right. You know, I should make payments on this. And so you start making payments, because you missed a lot of the other payments. By starting to make the payments doesn't, make the, doesn't pay for the payments you missed. <laughs> Where's the accounting on that? And so even if we come to our senses and decide, now I'm going to live for you, and even was to live for God in a perfect way, there's still all the rest that still stand, stands unaccounted for. That's why I need Him and His righteousness. For no person is justified by the works of the law. Verse 8. For, this, for his sake, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I, that I may gain Christ and be found in him having a righteousness not of mine own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It comes as a gift. And Paul continues, verse 10. And that I might know him... Now he's talking, moving from the things that God, God does for him to things he wants to experience. And it has again to do with Christ. That I might know him. In what way do you want to know him, Paul? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The power that raised him from the dead. I want to know that in my life. 
that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings. He suffered. He's my rabbi. If I would be his rabbi, I have to suffer too for the right reasons. Not because I did something wrong, but because I did something right and someone took offense. And that's what Paul, Jesus says. You cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me. And so he says, I want to suffer. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death, the Apostle Paul says, verse 10. That by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. If I die, I want to die for him. If I'm going to die, I want to die like him. And then I want to be raised like him. So this is, if you like, knowing Christ by being like Christ. Knowing Christ by experiencing what he experienced, resurrection power, suffering, death, physical resurrection. And Paul continues, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but, but I press on to make it mine own. I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing on. Or as Peterson puts it, not that I have already made it, but I'm well on my way. I know where I'm going, and I'm on a journey. In fact, it's not a journey. In fact, later he uses a metaphor that he's in a race. <laughs> Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to, to, to make it mine own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want to I make him my own. I want to get the thing that he has promised me because he has taken me to himself. He claims me. And Paul continues, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it mine own, but one thing I do. How many things do you have? How many things do you have? One thing I do, Paul says. One thing I do. Notice that a life centered in Christ is focused. One thing I do. In fact, it was Soren Kierkegaard who said that purity of heart is the will to do one thing. <laughs> Jesus talks about the pure in heart, right? Who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart do one thing. In fact, what did Jesus say about the pure in heart? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall what? See God. Who, see, who will see God? The pure in heart. What do the pure in heart do? They do one thing. I mean, even the guy, even the character in City Slickers knew that, right? One thing. Was it Jack Palance? One thing. Oh, you guys come from the city. You're all... Uh, What's the secret to life? One thing. He had the principle. Then there's the object. And what's the one thing? And so Paul says in verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, all of the Gamaliel and all of that, and all the things that false teachers would, would focus on and say, this is who I am, and get in line and obey. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. That I, I didn't bring it into the world, I won't take it out. 
One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, which is a, a, a running metaphor. You ever seen the rather, runners? You know, they, 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 get to the, they get to the finish line. They're going to hit the tape, right? What do they do? They strain. They, and because of the rules, their, their body has to go. It's not hands first, but body first, right? So they put the chest out. Photo finish. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on, verse 14, toward the goal, that is the finish line, for the prize. He runs to win. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love that, the upward call. Come on, Steve. Come on, Scott. Linda, come on, come on. I'm rooting for you. I'm in the stands. I'm just, come on, come on, come on. Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz, he said, the most difficult lie I have ever had to contend with is the lie that life is a story all about me. No drug is so powerful as the drug of self. No rut in the mind so deep as the one that says, I am the world and the world belongs to me and all people within it are characters in my play. There is no addiction so powerful as self-addiction. Then contrast that with the Apostle Paul's famous words to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, remember now, this is the guy who's hobnobbing with, who, uh, with, the, with the high priest in Jerusalem. He's the student of Gamaliel, the most famous rabbi of the first century. On and on and on. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I wonder, who are you living for? For self? Or for Christ. Let us pray. There is no losing. <laughs> That's why I suppose that, that man in India and, and people around him taking exception that, that he had become a believer so many years ago in centuries gone by. And so in an, an attempt to try to convince him, he, they killed his children. And he said, I still will follow. And then they killed his wife, and he said, I still will follow. In fact, if none go with me, I still will follow. I still will press on. I still will chase after. I still will stretch out. I still will follow and 
Answer the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us the courage to do that and to not be deceived by all the things we see around us that make promises that they can never deliver. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.